0: Welcome to the Data for Betterment podcast, Reimagine Hybrid Work, with your host, Maribel Lopez. Maribel is the founder of the Data for Betterment Foundation and Lopez Research. The Data for Betterment Foundation is a nonprofit organization that helps individuals understand and prepare for how their career will change as companies embrace new technologies. Lopez Research, a market research and strategy consulting firm, helps companies understand how technologies such as connected devices, collaboration, cloud computing, and AI change the customer and employee experience. The firm's clients range from startups to global corporations, including 10 of the Fortune 30. She's also the author of the highly regarded business book on how those technologies are transforming the company, employee, and customer experience, right time experiences, published by Wiley. She's also a frequent public speaker at corporate events and contributor at Forbes.com. Maribel is currently researching and writing her next book on how to build successful strategies for workplace transformation. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Reimagine Hybrid Work podcast, also a videocast now. I am Maribel Lopez, the founder of the Data For Betterment Foundation and Lopez Research, and I'm really excited to be here today with Jared Spataro. He is the Microsoft Corporate Vice President of Modern Work. Jared, welcome to the program.
2: Great to be here, you. Thanks for having me.
1: So tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do. I mean, I know who you are, but the audience doesn't know who you are.
2: Uh, well, many well, of the
1: audience probably knows who you are, but just in well, case they're under a rock, we'll, we'll tell them. <laughs>
2: I'm sure they don't. I'm sure they don't. Well, at Microsoft, I'm responsible for modern work. So both this idea of you know where is work going, how is it changing, and how do we predict that future? But also, interestingly, it's not just about prediction. It is also this idea of how do we shape the future. And the reason I bring that up is I kind of feel like there's so much happening right now that if we just let the future play out, it could play out to kind of a, a difficult place or a dark place. If we are proactive about it, I think that there's a win-win for everybody involved. So that's how we think about kind of the idea of modern work. And that covers everything from teams is kind of at the forefront of all that teams, to office, to windows, to devices, like everything you can imagine that is necessary to make that happen.
1: It's one of the fundamental transitions of our time, truly. And I remember when I was thinking about this concept of launching a podcast called Reimagine Hybrid Work, it's like, well. We talked about work in the past, but I really felt in a post-COVID landscape, people had tried a bunch of things and they found a bunch of things that were interesting and different and maybe not the way they thought they would be. So when you were thinking about the term hybrid or the future of work, what does that mean to Microsoft?
2: As you indicated, we tried to to convince people that there was a new way of working well before the pandemic, you know, that, that was part of our pitch essentially was like, Hey, there's a new way of doing things. When we launched teams before the pandemic, we were trying to help people understand that the world we felt like would move out of email into new types of communication. But I have to be honest with you, it was pretty tough. People who were on the cutting <laughs> yeah. edge, you know, they were interested. They kind of those early adopters were really interested, but it was really tough to get to the the majority the people who were just getting their work done and who weren't necessarily interested in hearing about a new way to do it. So from our perspective, you know, not only did the pandemic accelerate digital transformation in general, but because it pushed everyone to a new mode of working at first, just for survival. And then once people scrambled and got past survival, they started to ask, well, huh, there are things we can do here that we weren't able to do previously. What would happen if they started to get very creative? And so that created, we feel like the conditions, the environment, when we could really start to talk about the future of work, and so it's been a, it's been a, um, you know, it's been a topic that I think people have been more open to. And then maybe one thing that we'll get into in a moment, we've tried to come at it not just from our own perspective or our own opinion, but to go out and do a lot of research. Some of that is lab-based research. Other research has been out, kind of broadly going across, you know, countries and workplaces and industries, trying to understand how people are adapting to this new world of work and what they want to see from it. And so bringing together that research has helped us out a lot too. It's allowed us to kind of have a bit of a center of gravity to speak from in terms of what the trends are and what will be durable.
1: Well, well, let's dig a little bit into that. I mean, I'm sure that you have seen both in terms of what your customers are doing and in terms of research, some broad data trends around what is going on in hybrid work and you know how should those figure into what leaders are doing and approaching in terms of policy, hiring, uh, spend. I mean, there's a lot going on in this world of hybrid work, but maybe you could give us a few things to think about.
2: Sure, yeah. The big trend that came up in in what we call our Work Trends Index that we published earlier this year was something that that we called the hybrid paradox. And that was based on two data points. There were a lot that built up to it, but two really big data points. The first one was we polled a group of 30,000 employees, all sorts of different types of roles from frontline workers all the way up to executives in 31 countries. And we just asked them all about their experience with work during this extraordinary time, what they hoped would be different in the future, what they hoped would stay the same. Interestingly, 73% of those folks told us, wow, the flexibility that I've enjoyed during this time, lots of downside, but the flexibility that I've learned to take advantage of, I hope that sticks around post-pandemic. And a lot of times when they mean flexibility, they're talking about this ability to work from home or someplace that isn't a, a standard office. At the same time, same group, you know, we asked some questions about, well, what's missing? You know, what do you want to see? And in that case, 67%, same people, so almost the same amount of people said. Well, I sure could use some more in-person time, some more face time with my colleagues to get things done. And that tension between those two things, they like the flexibility, but recognize there's value in being together. We just call that the the hybrid paradox. We think it's what, what companies are going to have to navigate here as we move to hybrid. They're going to have to find a way to allow more flexibility while at the same time really getting people this in-person work time that's so important for things like social capital and cohesion of teams and learning how to, you know, kind of create really short cycles to get things done. So that's, that's one of the first ones that really caught our attention.
1: Yeah, one of the things that we've been seeing at has Research is all of a sudden now there's this big discussion around culture and how do we create culture and is that really different in a, in a hybrid world? And I think everybody feels it's different in a hybrid world. They're not exactly sure uh, what's going on. And we also started to, to classify the concepts of workers differently. So I think what was remote, we now move to uh, nomadic in our, in our nomenclature. You know, those are people that uh, go into the office a certain percent of the time. Maybe they're traveling, uh, but They work at home quite a bit of the time. And we have full-time remote workers and we have full-time in-person workers. But increasingly, I think there's this discussion that it's a very blended thing. It's not necessarily so binary. You might not be A or B, uh, but you might be mostly something. And I think that's a very big difference than what we had before where we thought mostly of remote workers as people that were on planes one or two people in a, a company or a small number, percentage of people in a company. So that I think is very different. But I think you picked up on something very important, and that's that notion that we still have to create that engagement, that human connectivity And maybe we don't need that every day, but we still need that as part of our work lives. Was there anything else about that um, Work Trends Index study that you did recently that surprised you, that made you change your mind about how to create a workplace strategy?
2: Probably the thing that surprised me the most is how much the labor market is changing. And this was a set of data points that jumped out first uh, in that Work Trends Index. And then we did some follow-on work um, here in my team. And then we also partnered with LinkedIn. The one stat that really caught my attention. The first time I saw it was 41%. And this 41% represented the, the, num- the percentage of respondents who said that they planned on leaving their current employer within the next 12 months. That seemed very high wow. tech. <laughs> this was well before we had started to hear about, you know, the, what we today call the Great Reshuffle. Sometimes you hear it you hear it outside as the Great Resignation. Along with that, we saw almost fifty percent of, of um, participants in a different survey that LinkedIn did say that they were uh, planning on a major career transition, where that could be defined, mm-hmm. for instance, as a new job or a new type of role, new function that they would be involved in. So that's a big deal. And then another number that jumped out at me was 4 of the respondents said that they planned on moving house over the course of the next 12 months. And this was an indication as we dug into it that people were realizing that with that increased flexibility, they also could think differently about their geographical location. Sometimes that meant moving to another part of the country. Uh, Other times it just meant moving another 20 minutes from the city center because they didn't plan to go into headquarters all that often. So all of that to me kind of started to combine into this idea of what we now call the great reshuffle. It is a a set of changes in the attitudes, the approaches of people toward their careers, toward their work lives that I think will have major ramifications. I think it will be one of the really lasting trends coming out of the pandemic is how much the labor market has changed. And we're still yet to find out how that will all play out. But certainly those numbers are pointing us in the right direction.
1: I think with this ability to say we can work in multiple locations, you know, say it's home, say it's a coffee shop, say it's a hotel, wherever it is, you know, not necessarily in what used to physically be an office. It really opens up the concept of hiring as well. So now it's not expected that everybody has to live in one geographic location. And therefore you can get talent from anywhere. So I think there's a really big opportunity for a lot of organizations if they dig in and I'm not saying that's easy because I do think you have to redo your corporate culture in a lot of ways but I also think there's a lot of momentum in terms of redoing corporate cultures to begin with so for example Mm. we've had a lot of discussion about um, diversity and inclusion we've had a lot of discussion about ethics Uh, sustainability. There's some really big shifts that are happening in this modern work landscape. And I think this is one of them. It's it's arguably the most important one because it deals with the people, but it is one of them. So as organizations start to rethink culture, I think this will be a big shift for them and you know one of the other big shifts that i know a lot of companies are talking about is the introduction of ai and i was wondering as you were thinking about modern work obviously the notion of ai comes up so what are you seeing as some of the benefits some of the things we should be cautious about just give us a few tips and tricks on how to think about ai in modern work sure
2: from from our perspective ai is a very big part of the future of work Um, You know, you can largely think that what's happened over the course of the last 18 to 20 months has been this idea that almost every human interaction has, has now some digital component or is digital digitally mediated in some way. That can be as simple as an email, you know, that type of transmission of information, or as complex as you know this type of broadcast that we're doing, or or a meeting where video conferencing is an important part. But once those human interactions um, and the processing of information goes digital we have the opportunity in a way that we've never had before to apply AI. And there kind of are two sides to it. Number one, AI is not like magic, you know, pixie dust. You actually have to start with data and you have to train the technology so that it understands what is helpful to humans. And and at the highest level, you know, that idea of what is helpful is, is really our definition of kind of practical AI. We want AI to amplify what humans already do well, help them be more creative, to help them get core tasks done, either with higher quality or faster or both. And so setting that idea of like, hey, we know what AI, what we want it to do, then gives you some sense for the data set that you'll need and then with that data, you can start to reason over the data and present things back to people in very much what we would call in the flow types of scenarios. So as an example, we have some great AI that we have introduced over the, the last few quarters that helps people be better writers as they're using our tools, literally writes for you. the first time I, I had the team talk to me about this, I thought, you know what? No machine is ever going to help me write. Like I, that's a very personal thing.
1: Yeah, I got this. Yeah.
2: <laughs> exactly. I got this. Today... You know, I accept the the inline suggestions from the AI helpers that we get uh, from what we call editor, you know, more often than I reject it. And I'm just totally amazed at how much it has changed. Another example is a designer in the cloud. We simply call it designer using several several different types of designs. I'm working on PowerPoint slides, you know, suggesting, hey, you might want to think of designing it this way again, right in the flow of work. And there's so much good we think we can do again, as we are are helping some cases to automate and some cases to streamline other cases, just to, to improve the quality of something that, that someone's doing. You mentioned also, though, that there are things to, to be careful of to watch out for. And that's absolutely true. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of really good discussion about AI ethics out, out there, of what types of data sets we're using to train, um, if there's bias in AI, you know, and I think AI is largely based on both a, a training set and the underlying algorithms that help us to train what's happening. And so, yes. you know, as we have looked after AI here at Microsoft. Um, we, we have a, a body that we've uh, constituted internally that, that is focused on what we call responsible AI that looks across a whole set of dimensions where we're really trying to be open and transparent about uh, how we take the data you know, what we do with the data, um, how we think about the algorithms, how they get peer reviewed, you know, uh, because I think this is a, a brand new area for all of us. So I would simply say I wouldn't say anybody's going to get this 100 percent right out of the gate. But I think, you know, making sure that you're learning as you go and trying to be as transparent as you can be, given the complexity of the domains you're working in, but all of that can make a really big difference.
1: You know, this is one of the topics that we don't speak about enough. I mean, Microsoft actually discusses this quite a bit in a lot of different ways. But I think companies in general, I've been reading a lot of research on this uh, from Pew, from Capgemini, from FICO uh, about all these different surveys that they've done on AI and ethics and how few organizations are really thinking about this. And at Lopez Research, we started talking about what we call, um, you know, the future of better AI being basically better AI and better AI is more ethical AI and something that we call seed, which is thinking about uh, security, ethics, uh, explainability in your data. And if you pull all those together, there's a much longer discussion around that. Um, But you really have to create a thoughtful approach to AI at the outset so that it can do what you need it to do and to do it in an ethical, responsible way. So I hope that more organizations will take that as a point to put in their strategies for modern work and for everything that they do within the organization. And the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about some of the research you've done before. We've talked a little bit about AI in the workplace. Uh, You basically finished Microsoft Ignite, congratulations. And you talked about this idea of organizations creating a digital fabric of connection inside and outside the company. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by a digital fabric and, and why is it important?
2: You just wound me up and here I go, Mirabelle. <laughs> you know, I'm really excited about this, uh, about this concept and I'll, I'll give you kind of the foundations of it. What, what we started to see happen when I was out working with customers and just trying to understand what is going on, you know, what's happening as companies respond to these really extraordinary circumstances. Um, I started to hear many companies use different terms for essentially what you could think of as um, the digitization of their workforce. I saw this manifesting itself in all sorts of different ways. You know, For people who already had pretty digital jobs, they were introducing just advanced technology. You know, First, video conferencing doesn't sound too advanced, but lots of people were not using it uh, pre-pandemic. And this idea of using the collaboration and communication infrastructure that was already available really helped people. And then as you indicated, I have definitely seen these jobs start to incorporate very practical AI in, in new and exciting ways. But probably the biggest trend out there that I see that's a shift uh, from the pre-pandemic models is really starting to digitize other roles in a company. Com- roles that were not digitally enabled previously. Sometimes we call these frontline workers. Uh, these are folks out there who do all sorts of work. They can range from you know a doctor or a specialist to a field technician to someone on the front lines in retail. And, and almost everyone had some sort of touch point with digital technology, but they were not kind of all wired together in almost like a uh, kind of a central nervous system for the organization. So as I as I interacted with customers, I could see this starting to take shape. I mean, in every industry, every company, I could see them kind of starting to lay the foundation for a strategy. As I thought about the metaphor that I could use, what came to my mind was this idea of a fabric. It was as though people were laying out a digital fabric, and that they were starting to connect people. And and the the real kind of inherent value in this fabric was that it it could bind the company together in a way that it didn't operate previously. It literally brought them together with a single unified communications, collaboration, even you could call it kind of digital creation fabric. Um, And as you have those connections, then, man, you can do amazing things. You can feed data from one place to another. Simply allowing someone on the front lines to talk freely with someone who is in more of a kind of a corporate or central organizing role is just an amazing unlock for many companies. And again, once someone has a digital aspect of their workflow, you can pump in, you know, helpers, AI that helps them get that job done, data that helps them be more effective or have more insight into what they're doing. Um, just so many possibilities. So that's what the fabric is all about. And, you know, we really do think there is a digital fabric that every company is starting to construct. It, it essentially is the foundation, I think, for their digital transformation because it provides those connections between the people and the business. And there's there's so much more I can say, but maybe I'll, I'll pause there for a second. It, it is a very rich subject for us.
1: I feel we're going to be talking about this notion of a digital fabric for some time. And I'm actually really excited to see how far we've come and how far we will take this. You know, when I think back, you know, we used to talk about just getting clipboards on paper. And now we're going into this whole new world where we're talking about helping someone visualize something in the field, being able to communicate with anybody in the world for an ask an expert, which you've been doing for quite some time now uh, as part of different projects at Microsoft. So I, I think that we're really advancing the notion of what digital means. It used to mean just taking what we had before and putting it into a digital format. And now we're in the spot where, particularly I think in a post-pandemic world, we are past just digitizing and now we're really creating new, richer experiences. And, And that's what the digital fabric is all about to me when I think about it, so. I love it, I love it. Okay, so. What's one piece of advice you'd give companies as they try to navigate to this new world of work? There's many things going on here. Is there a place that companies should start? I know companies are all different, but maybe you've got a few pieces of advice that you.
2: Yeah, if you don't mind, I'll offer a couple of different pieces of advice. Um, at the top, as I have interacted with companies and seen people take all sorts of different different routes here, I would say the the companies that are most successful or that I see kind of uh, being most successful right now are those companies that take a moment. They pause and they create literally a bit of a vision for where they're going. If you think you're headed back to your company, you know, at the end of 2019 or January 2020, you're just you you don't have a picture of what's happening here. The people coming back to the workplace aren't the same people. In some cases, you've literally hired new ones. In other cases, those people who are who left physically are just different. They think differently, they have different perceptions, expectations. They have, you know, even in some cases, different value systems for how they think about the work they're doing for you. So, you know, it, it pays to take a moment and think all right, well, we've all gone through a very extraordinary shared experience. What's going to be different about Acme Corporation going forward? And I think employees want to participate in that process. They want to understand what leadership is thinking. They want to compare that, quite frankly, I see, to to what other companies in the industry and outside the industry are doing, to what their own needs are. They want to hear it articulated in a clear, concise way. And so that's step one is take some time to do that if you haven't done it. Step two for me is don't try to use policy policy as a big bludgeon, if you will, you know, to this big kind of club to implement your vision or implement where you're headed. I see this happening in the news. I definitely have seen it happen in the companies that I'm working with, where they kind of over-policyize everything. They're like, all right, we got, you know, hundred new policies. Here's what we're going to do. You can only work from home during That's these work. episodes. <laughs> no, exactly. Read this book. And, and the key here is that flexibility is what these workers value. And the, the, the norms and the patterns associated with how flexibility is going to play out, nobody knows. I don't know. You don't know. You, you're going to have to learn for yourself. So use culture. Use norms. Use leadership. Um, really step up for this moment and teach your people that, like, we've got to become learn it not know-it-alls, and, and help get collectively ourselves into this next chapter in a really comfortable way. So that would kind of be my second one is think about culture, not policy as probably your biggest lever here that you can pull as a, as a leader. And then the third one, uh, you won't be surprised to hear from me, you know, technology plays such an important role here. And if you want to be a leader, you better be a technology leader. And I really mean that there's, you can't outsource this IT any longer. You can't say that's their job. If you want to be a, a business leader in the 21st century, certainly in the 20s, you're going to have to be a technology leader. You're going to have to understand the pertinent technology. You're going to have to understand how it's changing everything from business models to operating models. And if you can grasp that and pull it together with your business acumen, uh, you're going to be unstoppable, you know, in your industry. But but if you don't, I'd say watch out. There's somebody who will, and they they will, I think, outperform you and pass you up.
1: I think this is one of the things that we've been seeing with this concept of the great shuffle, great resignation, is that um, individuals have taken some time to think about you know, what they want to do, how they want to do it, how they want to be treated, what they want to be part of or not part of. And at this particular time, it's probably the time when individuals have felt the most empowered out of perhaps any generation before us, Mm. it seems that people really want to take control of their destiny and what they do with their work time. Now, that doesn't mean that everything is going to be driven individually by the employees. But I I do agree that the part about culture and really thinking about uh, hearing the voices and understanding what the people in your company want your company to be, is a very interesting exercise. And it doesn't mean you have to adopt everything, but it can actually lead you into new and interesting places. Because sometimes you you struggle to figure out how do you move the ball forward? And perhaps there are other people that can give you just the right ideas to help move that ball forward. So it's a, it's a bit of, sometimes I think when you say that, when you talk about like culture, um, executives feel like well, that means I'm not in control. And it's like, well, you're still in control. It's, it's just a different way of thinking about like how you gather ideas, how you incorporate ideas and, and what to do next. So
2: yeah, if I, if I build on that for a moment, I, I really think that likely will be one of the shifts that we see coming out. I can't, I don't have enough data to say it definitively, but I'll give you my hypothesis just for a moment. And it it is simply this, you know, a a business is not a democracy. And so you don't have to have everybody vote on every, you know, strategic decision you're going to make. You don't have to make everyone happy, but I do think that there is a cultural shift much larger than any particular entity, business entity about transparency, about people's, uh, ability to have a voice in what's happening, about their ability to understand you know, where a particular organization is going and to voice how they feel about you know, that direction. And, and I think one of the things that I feel like I've learned most from Microsoft and particularly from Satya Nadella, our CEO, is this idea that at this moment, having a growth mindset, a learner's mindset is probably the best thing you can equip yourself with. Recognizing that so much is changing that if, if you rely too much on even your own experience, you'll find yourself in a place that you didn't mean to be. And so if you take this growth mindset, then I think you have the humility to recognize, you know what, I might not have the answer, but I bet you it's scattered out amongst the people who are really close, close to the problem. How could I listen carefully to what they have to say and then do my job, which is synthesize all of that, bring it together into the way forward. I think that's the type of leader that will really be valued in the future because there's so much tumult. There's so much volatility. None of us can predict and none of us can be smart enough to know. but you know you can bet your bottom dollar, if you've got to go to organization, some people know you know and ha- at least have some of those important puzzle pieces and they're going to want to try and find those and put them together. So I don't yet have enough data, but I certainly have a hy- hypothesis as I see this kind of starting to play out, especially in the in the um, areas of the economy that have experienced the most change so far.
1: Okay, before I let you go, I've been hearing a lot about your work lab site. Uh, Can you tell me more about what that is and what you hope to accomplish?
2: Only too happy to. So, uh, you know, the only thing I knew for sure back in, in March of last year was that we didn't know anything for sure. Literally, we didn't know anything for sure. People <laughs> want to just end up and just like kind of blow smoke at everybody and say, well, we think it's going here. We think it's going there. So we started a really in-depth effort to do research of, of all kinds. Um, I, I indicated this uh, work trends index where we went out and surveyed 30,000 people. I indicated there's some stuff in in Labs that we've done, we have a lab called our Human Factors Lab, where we try to take technology, pair it up with different scenarios and people and actually figure out what's going on. We, we even get as far as strapping on EEG sensors on the people's brains as they do certain things and trying to understand what's going on. And so we're taking all that research um, and then some position pieces. Certainly we have opinions on things and publishing it out to this WorkLab site. It is meant as a resource uh, for the entire world. We're trying to you know make it kind of a place that we can bring together thought leaders, that we can bring together our, our research and really see what we can learn together. Um, so we're trying to practice what we preach in terms of bringing together people who have different perspectives on where work is going. So you can find it at microsoft.com WorkLab. Hope you like it. We'd love to hear what you think.
1: Jared, thank you. That was perfect. I'm very excited that we had the chance to talk. and very excited that there are so many new things coming out of Microsoft Ignite, and we are going to tackle some of the problems of modern work. Thanks for being a guest on the show.
2: Oh, love, love being here. Thank you so much for taking the time with me.